They told her it was just a bad dream. She knew it was real. It became a nightmare on Elm Street. Now there's a new kid on Elm Street. And Freddy's been waiting. I'm afraid to go to sleep. We'll stay up all night if we have to. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Freddy's back. <laughs> and this time, he's not fooling around. You are all my children now. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. It's coming soon. Watch out for it. Welcome to Slash, a horror movie podcast. In season two of Slash, we will be covering the films of the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Starting with the 1984 Wes Craven classic, and ending with its remake from 2010. Slash is available everywhere podcasts can be found. You can follow Slash on Twitter at Slash Horror. And you can find every episode of Slash at fansnotexperts.com forward slash slash. Enjoy the show. Remember that it's fun to be scared. And whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Something very strange and mystic happened to me Something realistic and as weird as can be Something that I feared somehow is now endeared to me What a funny feeling, odd and yet so true Did a thing like this ever happen to you? Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I did. Did you ever hear a dream talking? Well, I did. Did you ever have a dream? Greetings, horror fans, and welcome back to Slash, where today. We're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Now, folks, welcome back. Thank you so much for uh, your support and continuing to listen and watch the show. For some reason, I decided to do this podcast as a video cast too, which means, yay, I get to make videos for you and wear the same shirt I wore a couple weeks ago, the same hat that I didn't wasn't sure I was going to wear. I actually had a Celtics hat on, a green hat in front of a green screen. Not too bright, ouch. Not too sharp. Now, that's, um, that's for the video people, the ouch part, because I'm wearing the Freddy glove and the not quite the Freddy hat, but the closest thing I had. I'm not even sure if it's considered a man's hat. I don't know. I found it at, a, at an overstock store, and I bought it months ago. Um, 
What does that have to do with Freddy, uh, Freddy's Revenge? Nothing. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, folks, I am... Now, I'm looking at this. It says... On, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. And I'm on Elm Street 2. Oh, on screen was called The Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. I remember seeing this movie as a kid, and I remember being like, wow, they're making another one. Like, I remember the trailer. The thing I remember most about the trailer is Freddy jumping up from wherever he was hiding at the pool party um, and someone hitting the, um, touching the electrical fence. And, of course, the, you've got the body, I've got the brain, which was a big part, like a big-time line in the uh that became the nightmare on my street by uh award-winning puncher will smith um and i remember i obviously saw this on vhs which would be the last nightmare on elm street that i saw for the first time on vhs in many many years maybe well, no, I'm, it's it's going to be a long time till we get to this this movie. I'm gonna we're gonna someday get to, but yes, I think after Nightmare Two, because at this point it's 1985 and I am only nine years old. So, would you show your nine-year-old this movie? Did you watch this movie? Would you show this to a nine-year-old? I certainly wouldn't. But it was 1985. I guess things were a little different. Um, I'm trying. My first rated R movie was First Blood, and you know it was violent, but I guess violence wasn't a big deal. And the nudity was Stallone's butt, so really wasn't much more than that in this movie. It was more butt. It, oh, I'm just moving my camera around. Hopefully, I didn't screw things up too much, but I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, it was more. Uh, it was just more butt, more ifs. Ands and buts. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, this movie, I feel like over the years gets, doesn't get the respect or doesn't, didn't get the respect. I feel at a certain point it became more of a cult. It got a more of a cult following. And I remember watching the, was it Never Sleep Again? I think the Nightmare on Elm Street kind of retrospective where it went through every single movie. And they talked about this movie and they talked about really the, the idea that there was some there was subtext to this movie. Now, originally as a kid, never thought of it, never it never crossed my mind. It's the story of uh, a, a boy who moved into Elm Street, and um, Freddy's there to to take his body over, um, and and come out of him, out of his body, and this guy um, not trying to figure out there's someone else inside him trying to get out, and no one believing him, or no one listening to him. And over the years, um, I think it, it was seen where this movie was really widely considered as very gay. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm saying that as a description. Uh, I'm saying like that is it, it had like homoerotic undertones. And when you watch it, hearing that another time, you say, oh, well, sure. I guess that's what that bar was about. Oh, that's why he's wearing leather. Oh, interesting. It's like when you see the uh, the lead singer of Judas Priest at one point came out as gay and loved Judas Priest, loved Rob Halford. And then you look at what he was wearing on stage and you're thinking, like, 
what was he tr- he wasn't really trying to hide it i think just just people weren't seeing it and i th- that reminds me of this where it's like they weren't really hiding anything they weren't out and out saying it but there was um there was definitely like hints to it there was kind of you know whether it's in the story or in the the idea that um the main character you know is like a uh, metaphor for someone coming out of the closet or struggling with coming out of the closet i'm not even sure if i'm getting the 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 subtext right but when you look at it through that lens uh it it does kind of seem not obvious but it definitely you see evidence where you go okay this you know it actually makes sense it fits into this theory that people have but putting all that aside all you know the 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 subtext or or what people think the movie's really about uh um, is it a good movie i don't think it is i'm maybe i'm getting ahead of myself there were certain things that were enjoyable about it um but maybe it was because i was looking at it trying to look at it you know as being more than just a a slasher movie but on its like on the the level the face level the you know whatever you call that um on its surface i think that's right um you know i i don't know it certainly uh was a rushed movie i would guess i mean think about this i don't know how long it took wes craven to develop and write uh, a nightmare on elm street perfect it to the point where he was ready to make a movie out of it and then make the movie. But in less than one year, in less than one year, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 comes out. Now, the movie takes place five years after the first one. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm doing the, doing the nightmare math. Is this supposed to be 1989 in the movie? Is the movie in the future? Uh I guess time doesn't really matter because I'm trying to think what the timeline would be, you know, going ahead. So I'm going to guess right now. Maybe we should do that, like for all future movies, figure out the timeline. 1984, the first movie came out. We would say it took place in 1984. No reason to think otherwise. Uh, In this film, they say five years later. So right now I'm going to say the timeline of A Nightmare on Elm Street is 1989. But this movie came out November 1st, 1985. Uh, This was like just a couple weeks after Marty McFly went back to the 50s. Wait a minute. Or was it November 15th? I get those days mixed. October 15th? It's around the time. October might be the 2015. November might be when he went back in time. Galia, I really, I should know this. If you know me from other podcasts, I'm ashamed of myself right now. But this movie... Uh, came out November 1st. It was like a week away from being a year since the first movie. Uh, it's shorter. It's only 87 minutes long. It had a, a slightly bigger budget, a $3 million, and it made it almost $30 million, like 29999 So they say that New Line Cinema is the house that Freddie built, and you're starting to see it. They're like, oh boy, we have ourselves a franchise. Now the first thing, of course, is... You know, at this point, we've already had four Friday the 13th, I believe. Uh, we've had a couple Halloweens. We've had Halloween 3. 
4 wasn't out yet. Um, so everyone wants a franchise. Everyone wants a horror franchise. And you have a horror franchise with someone, or at, at this point, after part two, you think you must have someone who has this iconic look, this unique, you know, fingered gloves, the hat, like, and, and the difference is Freddie talks. He talks. He talks to people. He, he quips. He gets better at that. Some may say worse than worse at that in future movies, but we do see it coming out more here. Of course, where we last left Freddy, he was not so Nancy's like, I don't believe in you. And he went, ah. But then there was the aftermath of the movie where we see Nancy's mom gets sucked in and the kids driving off in the car. I don't know what any of that happened like i guess all that happened or the deaths that we saw happened because they're talked about in this movie uh you know glenn across the street the mother but so i'm guessing the end was still a dream nancy was still in a dream i'm not entirely sure i could do this all day with the glove i i just i just want to twirl my fingers um i'm not entirely sure uh but for the sake of the timeline, Freddie really did. Um, Nancy survived. Glenn didn't. I'm assuming Rod didn't. Tina didn't. But they didn't talk about them all that much, did they? Maybe they did. They talked about the boyfriend. They definitely talked about the boyfriend in this. So this movie was written by David Chaskin, and he's written nothing else that I recognize. It was directed by Jack Shoulder who has gone on to direct such things as The Hidden. Now, I recognize the poster for this, probably from video stores, but I've never seen it. Renegades? That's not the Lorenzo Lamas. No, that was a a movie. Don't know it. The Tremors TV show, that's recently. Tales from the Crypt, I know that. Uh, But for me, the the biggest thing he's directed is this movie. Uh, And, you know, how did this movie come into play one year after? Less than a year after. So I, I like to go... Um, over to the Wikipedia page, and and I would take a summary, but you know what? I'm just going to read it for you. I call it Slashopedia because I literally am taking this from the Wikipedia page. I like to go to the production section to see how this all came to place, how this all came to be. Uh, and, you know, pre-production for this movie started already in April, which was, you know, you know I'm going to do the math, November, December, January, February, March, April. So five months later, they're like, we need to get a sequel out. Let's start it in in April, and already in November, boom, they have a finished product out into the theaters, which, look, there's no stars in this movie. Robin England is the biggest star, um, and he's not even a star. He's Freddy Krueger is the biggest star of this movie. Um, the So the cast, you don't have to pay them much of anything. All young, mostly young people, and the effects, it, they weren't a ton. There were some. It's 1985, so maybe they're they're good for the time. I don't know. Um, I mean, you, if you can make a parakeet explode, that obviously took something. Uh, but the fact that they were able to get this all done in five months is really the formula. Get these movies out. Don't worry about, you know, do make it good enough. People will go see it. It's kind of was the horror franchise formula for years. Um, 
And originally, screenwriter Leslie Boehm uh, came up with the idea of a, pitched the producers an idea of using pregnancy and possession as a plot device in the second film. Uh, now, Leslie Boehm is less. Okay, I, I was going to say he or she, I wasn't sure. But he says, my concept was an, an homage to, I almost said homage, an homage to Rosemary's Baby. I came up with a plot that this new family moved into the house. Okay, a teenage boy. Okay, his pregnant mother, ooh, and stepfather didn't get along with him. Um, it was a real bloody, scary idea. Blah, 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 blah. Freddie getting into the, the mother's womb. Now think about that. Doesn't that all sound kind of familiar? Um, <clears throat> later on, that idea is used in a few movies from now in Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. And guess what? Leslie Boehm wrote the script for that. So he's like, I want Freddie to have a baby. I want him to be a dad or possess a baby or hang out with a baby. No matter what, there's got to be a baby involved. If Freddy's, if I'm writing a Freddy movie, a baby's going to be in it, okay? So uh, producer Robert Shea, Lynn Shea's husband, that's how I know him as, Lynn Shea's husband, uh, did offer Wes Craven a movie, a film to d- direct it, but he turned it down um, since he had many problems with the script, such as the possessed parakeet <laughs> that seemed very ridiculous to him. And a Freddy emerging with the merging with the main character and manifesting in real life at a pool party to kill scores of teenagers, of which many are bigger than him. Oh, Wes Craven thought you know that would diminish his scare factor, you know, because Robin England's kind of small. Now think about that. I mean, I'm burying the big one of the big climaxes of the movie, but when Freddy comes out of the dream world, why does he have any powers? Like, he walks through a fence later. What the hell's going on with that? I mean, think about it. Nancy takes the hat out, and Freddy is out with him. Nancy takes Freddy out, and in the first one, and beats the shit out of him. But then Freddy sinks in a bed with the mother. It's a, it's very weird what, what, what the rules are as far as in the dream world or the real world. And they really play with that in this one I feel like I always thought when you saw Freddy it was the real world unless it was the dream world unless he got pulled out into the real world and then at that point all bets are off because he's just a, a, a scarred up burnt little man um, with a glove he's got the glove but if you can just stay arm's distance from him you're alright like if you shoot him he's dead but apparently that's not the case what is the case and I didn't realize this uh, until, you know, reading it on here, and I assume it's accurate. When has Wikipedia ever been wrong? But New Line Cinema originally thought they were going to save money by simply using an extra in a rubber mask to play Freddy. Um, because they're like, we don't, you know, with other masked muted killers like Jason and Michael Myers, who cares? We'll just put someone else in there. But they rec- they recognized, the, uh, or they reconsidered, I can read, when they realized that the man had the gait and posture of a dime store monster, as opposed to Robert England's classically trained physical acting. Really? I mean, can't you just get a little wiry guy? Uh, the extra as Freddy still remains in one scene of the film, they say, in the coach, the coach Schneider's death scene in the shower. Really? Like, how much did they shoot? This feels like Eric Stoltz all over again. There I go, go back to the future. Realizing their mistake, the producers quickly brought... Uh, 
England back in for the rest of the film and the series. It says, Robert Shea, head of New Line Cinema, wanted to play the role of Ron Grady's father, Ron Grady's father, but was denied by director Jack Shoulder, who gave him a non-speaking role as the bartender. Really? He was the bartender? That's Robert Shea? Uh, now, do you recognize who plays Grady's dad in this movie? He plays another pretty well-known, uh, well, I wouldn't say well-known dad, but a dad to a well-known character, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. So, principal photography for this movie, for this movie uh, commenced in June 1985. Think about that. June 1985, this movie comes out, and boom. They need it done, shot, edited, scored, you know, all the special effects added and get it out by Halloween. Now, they didn't make Halloween, but they made it a week, a day later. So um, people were still in the mood, I think. You know, right now it's October 27th that I'm recording this. Uh, it, it was a couple weeks ago, actually, that I watched it, and then I wrenched my back. I don't know what I did, but my back, I could barely sit. I took a... I actually, even earlier this week, I took a day out of work, but... Feeling better now, uh, better enough to sit and record and talk to you about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Don't know why I am a Dracula all of a sudden. Why don't we just skip any skip the rest of this and just talk about this movie, okay? Now, here's the thing. Uh, as I said, I obviously rented this at Flix Video. Uh, in Methuen, Massachusetts, Flix Video. This place was a video store. The first video store, um, it wasn't the first video store that we ever went to. I think that was Video Center up in Salem, New Hampshire. But it was the first one that was in walking distance of where we lived. Uh, it used to be way, it was this office park. It used to be way down. Then they moved it a little closer. And I um, went to this place up through... You know, all my from a little kid to a college, uh, a college student, and then afterwards, the guy who managed it opened his own place, um, and I worked at that one. I actually worked at Flix Video for a while. I I did a report on it in eighth grade. I get kicked out of it once for calling the manager an asshole, but I knew the rules. I said, "Come on, Stan, don't be an asshole." Boom, kicked out for a week, uh, which was for some reason that was like devastating to me. But then, like a year or two later, he set up a karaoke machine in the video store, and I would sit there and sing karaoke like like I was a like I was the entertainment. I don't know what's going on. And then I worked in there for most of my high school days. I remember a girl coming in once to rent the bodyguard, and I said, "Hey, I have it. I have it for you." And she's like, "Oh, I know you. You're so and so's friend." I said, "I know you too," and we've been together for thirty years, and we've been married for twenty three years. Yes, I did the math. So, um, see, working in a video store. It um it it leads to to look to love, that's gonna be the Hallmark movie store. It's gonna be called, um, I love HS. That didn't make any sense. So this movie, uh, as I said, I I'm pretty sure I saw it you know right away when it came out and, and when I was nine. Uh, I don't know, Freddie, never like the first one scared me. I remember being scared a little, but it never scared me as much as the silent. Jason and Michael. Those spooked me even more. Uh, it's only an hour and 25 minutes. It's it's a relatively short movie. I mean, that's with credits. It was like an hour 23 without the credits. Uh, and, of course, it opens 
with the school bus and a logo that I have no memory of um, of showing Nightmare Part 2. Oh, it showed Nightmare Part 2. Then it shows Freddy's Revenge. And I didn't remember that. Like It, it was like two separate things, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Freddy's Revenge. And Freddy, like you don't say Fred Krueger or anything like that. It has already become a thing in pop culture that Freddy is back and he's going to get you. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. In the credits, we see uh, Clue Gulagar. I know the guy. He was, you know, he just passed away fairly recently. Um, And Hope Lang, they were the special guests. Well, they played uh, Jesse. They played Jesse's uh, parents in this. Uh, And Robert Englund is now credited as Freddy Krueger instead of Fred. Remember the first one? He was just called Fred. But we actually see um, Robert Englund. We see Robert Englund first because um, he's the school bus driver. Like we see some kids get dropped off and we see a school bus driver. Now, I wonder if then people recognize, hey, that face looks familiar. Now, because did people know what Robert Englund looked like even then? I mean, the first one just came out in 1984. Maybe the fans of V knew who he was. But um, now I'm like, oh, my God, that, that's real cool. He's in there. You know, he's, he's driving the bus. see a lot of kids on the school bus getting off, and we see one nerdy, I wrote down nebishy. I don't even know if that's a word, like nebishy, like, hey. I, I don't know if that's a word or not. I've heard it. Um, but I'm thinking, wow, I didn't realize, I forgot he was supposed to be this nerdy. He wasn't. This was just for some reason in the dream. So there's some girls on the bus laughing at him. And then um, I guess they're like the mean girls. They drop a few more people off, and then the car takes off, and the 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 girls like driver, driver, that's our stop. And you see the gear shift go, and you see Freddie's glove. You're like, oh no, it's happening. I do like there was a body glove sticker, body glove. I don't know if it's still a thing. To me, it was always like surfing. I think it were wetsuits, but they were also like fashion. Like body glove was like a fashion change fashion line i don't know what to call it um but the bus flies by all the stops and the girl's like what's going on what's going on and all of a sudden it's getting darker and darker the girls are scared the bus is speeding up and um, now the ground starts to crumble all of a sudden there the 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 bus is teetering on a cliff and you're thinking to yourself well already the special effects have i'm not sure if they're they look perfect it looks like miniatures but they're going for bigger more bombastic dreams. I mean, this bus is teetering on the edge. And then all of a sudden, we see Freddy getting up, and he's walking over. And you're thinking to yourself, well, wait, how is Freddy back? Now, when you see Michael Myers, or you see Jason Voorhees, you see them either get killed or close to killed. And then part of the fun always is how do they come back? How are they re- revived? Whether sometimes it's... um uh, electric shock uh, caused by a storm or they just weren't dead and they were just in the back of a truck and people just thought they were dead or, you know, um, a, a magic power from from a teenage girl. However it is, there's always a um, some sort of explanation of, oh, they're back, or there usually is. And in this, it never was quite clear to me where Freddy was between one and two, what he... Um, how he is still doing this, why he's doing it. Well, I guess I guess why he's doing it is because he wants to get out into the real world. But there's never an explanation of this is my plan. 
this is why it's my plan. I have to do this otherwise, you know, X, Y, Z. There's never anything like that. It just sort of happens where, I'm going to move this again, moving my camera and I don't care. Um, it just sort of like starts. And he's like, you know, one point he's like, I've got plans for you, Jesse. You've got the body and I've got the brain. Like, wait, what? It's a cool line and it's a cool way he said it. But what the hell is he talking about? Wait, what? Like, there's no explanation of, you see, Jesse, what I want to do is use you to get to the real world. Like, I guess who would Freddie tell except Jesse? But it just kind of happens. And I didn't remember it being that unexplained, I guess. So Freddie goes over and, um, you know, go, tries to get to the girls. And then, of course, uh, Jesse wakes up. And um, he screams, ah! And the, we see the mom and the dad and the, and the girl downstairs, and the two parents. First of all, the two parents look like they should be their grandparents, but I guess in the '80s, parents were a lot older. I remember having a, a kid I knew in school, and his dad—he might not have been that much older, but he had white hair, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, is that his grandfather?" And it wasn't. It's his dad. His dad was just a little older. That's what it is. So. Um, Jesse screams, and the girl's like, why can't Jesse wake up normally? And mom's like, oh, he's just having a bad dream. Like, the mom, they're always, like, not paying attention to what's going on with their son. Um, it's like he's in pain. He is having issues. They don't really know. But the parents do steal a glance at each other like they've been worried or they're worried and something else. Like, they're, like maybe they know something's been going on. But <laughs> more importantly than that, the kid, Jesse's sister, who um, she's she's eating a box of cereal, and um, the box of cereal is called Fu Man Chu, C H E W, and it seems like an incredibly racist uh, box of of, of cereal. Um, there seems to be some sort of like an Asian man, but with green skin, uh, and the. The, first of all, the fonts on this box of cereal are just terrible. They're like aerial, if you know fonts. People, I guess, have remade this thing. Um, you can find, if you look Nightmare on Elm Street 2 cereal or Fu Man Chews Nightmare on Elm Street 2, you'll see this box. Uh, but in the box, uh, it shows free Fu Man fingers. And you can have long, pointy fingernails that the sister puts on later. And Jesse's like, because oh, he reminds him of something that he saw in his dream. So Jesse, uh, he's upstairs. His room's a mess. Boxes everywhere. He's also the sweatiest sleeper I've ever seen. Um, but he, you can see that they must have just recently moved in to where they are going to be. Uh, and of course, when he comes down for breakfast, um, the, the, we, we, the dad says something about, uh, you know, boxes need to be unpacked. It's just, you could definitely see that they, you know, they're new in the area. Sister puts on the fingers, as I said, and of course he freaks out. And um, the doorbell rings, and we see this girl show up, this pretty redhead named Lisa. They seem to be just friends, but it kind of evolves uh, through the whole thing. They drive off together in a really beat-up old convertible, not as nice as, was it Glenn's car in the end of with the roof going down? Um, and we don't see the house yet. So I don't think they, 
I'm not sure if they made a point to show the house and make it seem like a big deal. But again, was that house considered a big deal until this movie? And then more so even in the third movie. Like what, when did the house become like, oh my God, that's the Elm Street house. That's, the, that's, that's Nancy's house, the, the Freddy house kind of. It doesn't have the same, I guess there's the, the Strode, the, the Michael Myers house that became a thing. Um, Jason, I don't know. In one movie, he lives in a cave. There's no, there's a cabin. Uh, but the Freddy House, I feel like in part three with the paper mache that was created by uh, Patricia Arquette, that became more of a thing. So anyway, they go to school, and it seemed like the school, the the movie budget only allowed for so many cars, and they were all jalopies. They, I don't know, maybe it was just the '80s high school thing, but those cars just felt like the most '80s cars. That ever aided an 80. Uh, we see sport fields that look like, and there's people playing softball, and like right near the softball, there's people shooting archery. It seemed very close to the softball field, and I thought, I wonder, does that come into play later? There are going to be some arrows, someone accidentally getting shot. Nope, none of that comes into play. Um, there was no um, Chekhov's arrow. It just, it was just normal high school day where people are shooting archery five feet away from cheerleaders and people playing softball. Uh, we meet a new character named Grady, who's up at bat while Ches- Jesse is playing the field. Of course, Jesse's not paying attention, so he gets a softball hit right off his head. Gym teacher yells at him. Um, and later on, they return to play. They kind of they get cut in a, in, a, in a rundown. Jesse makes a comment. They start fighting. Obviously, they wrestle, and they're the worst fighters. They're just rolling around, tussling. I, I mean, again, I don't know if that's part of the subtext. I have no idea. I'm looking for things now sometimes um but they're rolling around and they get you know really um these guys become really good friends obviously best friends i feel like they're best friends even though they yell at each other they're still very good friends uh the coach comes over he's played by actor marshall bell who i wouldn't tell i couldn't tell you his name until i looked it up but he's been in a lot of stuff um and he just has a face that i'm like oh i've seen him in things before he's been in a lot of different things hasn't he um he looks out his office window. He see, oh, he has them doing all these push-ups, and um, he has them doing these push-ups until they're exhausted. Grady says, you know, he he could keep them out there all night because he likes to go and, and when he goes off and does his goes to his. This is what he says: queer S and M joints downtown. Okay, so maybe some of it's not subtext. They do talk about the. He says the coach goes to the, the these gay bars, um, and he tells Jesse he likes pretty boys. Like you, and I was like, okay, like is this is is he? Does he know something, or is he just being insulting? Um, and he also says, um, oh, he and he asks him to call him pretty. He says, you know, you also getting intimate with that rich girl who drives to school. Just is like, you know, we're just friends, really. They're just hanging out, killing time. Then finally, the coach goes to tell them to hit the shower. Um, so while they're getting dressed. Jesse tells him, you know, we're new in the town. We just moved over at Elm Street. And, and Grady's is like, oh, not that big white house, was it, with the bars in the window? And he's like, your dad's a chump. And that's when we find out some of the backstory that connects the last movie to this movie. He says there was some chick in there who got um, locked up by her mother and went crazy. And um, I'm thinking to myself, how big of a town is this? that less than a year they don't remember this girl who they went to high school with. 
Uh, it, we don't find out till later that it's five years. So when I'm watching this, I'm going, this doesn't seem believable that someone who, unless you're a freshman, Grady, you know who all these people are. And even if it's five years, I feel like you'd probably know some of them. Um, but he says uh, she watched her boyfriend get butchered across the street by some maniac. Um, so that happened. Now, he didn't say he saw his girlfriend, he saw his boyfriend get sucked into a bed and become, you know, an ocean of blood. That's what we saw. So that's, that's what we assume happened. But now we cut over. And now, after he says where you live, now we see Elm Street. We see the outside of the house with some ominous music playing. And, of course, what do we see? Jesse tossing and turning in bed. As a kid, the movie was called The Nightmare on Elm Street. So I always thought you had to live on Elm Street. You had, like, a couple of parents from the neighborhood, right? They're the ones who killed Freddie. I assume they all lived on Elm Street. So I remember thinking, just move. Move away. I don't know if it matters. Like, later on in the series, he talks about, you're the last children of Elm Street. Like, it all... I guess Elm Street did matter to him. It wasn't just a title. And I think in the first time, it just was a really cool title. Uh, and that's where the nightmare happened. I don't think there were set rules of Elm Street or set rules of, um, you know, having to be in this house. This just, to me, I still think happens to be because Nancy's mother kept the glove in the house. She, um, I'm not saying she caused all this turmoil, but... I think she had a lot to do with it. I think. I just think that's why Freddie focused on on Nancy so much. Well, I guess he went for Tina first. Well, maybe my theory is not was wrong. Anyway, he can't seem to settle uh, or you know get any sleep, so he just lies there in bed. He doesn't want to lie there in bed. He gets up and goes downstairs. And I'm thinking to myself, is he going downstairs? Is he asleep? I don't really know. Um, and I, you know, he looks fairly normal. I don't know why in the dream, in that first dream, he looked real nerdy. I don't know. Um, he goes down in the kitchen for something. He drops orange juice. It breaks everywhere, and he looks out the window, and he sees some motion out there. Again, no idea. He goes out to check it. So I'm thinking to myself, again, obviously he's dreaming because who in their right mind would go out there and check it? I'd pretend, you know, I didn't see anything. I'd run upstairs. I'd jump between my parents. I'd say, please, I'm going to bed now. Please let me sleep with you, uh, mommy and daddy. I heard a, I had a hurt, even though he's like 18 years old. But um, he's walking, and all of a sudden we see re- flames in the reflection of his, like, kind of off his skin. You're like, what the hell? Now he's looking back in his basement, and he sees a man. We know who this man is. He has no idea who this man is. He's a, he's a gaunt little man in a little bitty hat. Um, his face is all burnt up and he's got knives for fingers. Well, I guess we don't see the knives for fingers yet, but he's reaching into the furnace, into the fire, and he's grabbing this glove. <laughs> That's for the YouTube people. Uh, so Jesse goes right back in the house and I'm like, okay, that's great. But no, I be again, instead of going upstairs, instead of calling the cops, someone's in my house, he starts um, going, you know, I'd be yelling for my parents. Instead, no, 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 no. He goes into the basement so he can investigate further like an idiot. So we see some shadow in the basement. Now we know who it is. And now he's like, okay. Uh, he grabs for the door. He starts calling for his dad. Uh, but he can't pull the door open. He can't get it open. Uh, he starts yelling for help. Uh, he starts walking. Now we see 
uh, there's Freddy out of nowhere, and he says, um, Daddy can't help you now. This is where he, we kind of get the entire explanation of, Jesse, of Freddy's plan. He's like, I need you, Jesse. We've got special work to do. Here, you and me, you've got the body, and I've got the brain. And then he pulls back his head, and he shows Jesse his, his brain. Really cool, gross little effect. Uh, Jesse screams. Freddy just m- laughs maniacally. Jesse wakes up in his bed, so we see that he's been asleep. He had a dream, a nightmare. Uh, and there's a knock on his door, and his parents are like, are you all right? Uh, I feel like they were just waiting for him because like, right when he's screaming, they both ran in right away. It's almost like they were right outside the door. Uh, but it seems like they care. It seems like they want to help. Uh, they were thinking of calling a doctor, but he's like, no, 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 it's just a bad dream. It's just a bad dream. So we jump over to the high school, and it seems like every kid in this class, first of all, every kid looks about 30 years old, and they're all in the same class together because that's how it always is. They're in some sort of biology class, and the teacher's talking about the digestive system, uh, and Jesse can barely stay awake. So um, the teacher has a way of talking that he just doesn't look or sound like he wants to be there, and he's just talking now, and he's talking about the heart, and Jesse's like... falling asleep Grady notices he's like he starts laughing and this big snake starts to wrap itself around Jesse and I'm thinking to myself oh that's a you know kind of a scary dream he screams no Grady laughs at him and um, he gives the finger but he's also smiling too but it seems like they're starting to get friendly with each other but what's crazy really is that the snake actually happened like that wasn't part of a dream Snake actually wrapped itself around him, and the teacher's like, if you want to play with animals, join the circus. Uh, sorry, Doc, you have a, or teacher, you have a giant snake in your classroom. You allowed it to get loose. It wrapped itself around one of the students. You should lose your job. You should be sued. And three, I was going to say a third thing. Maybe you should be, uh, you know, there should be some sort of criminal investigation as to why there is such a large serpent in your classroom that can get out and wrap itself around a student, and no one else in the class freaks out at all. Kind of dumb. So we cut over to um, Lisa's house, and she's swimming when Jesse calls her, uh, and they're going to go hang out, but Dad's like, nope, you can't go and hang out until you finish unpacking your room. He looks at all the stuff in the room, and um, he's just like, meh, he's he's all frustrated. Oh, and we see, um, or we hear Parakeet, and we're thinking, oh, well, I think I think we know what's going to happen. I, I remember, I was like, oh, that parakeet will come into play later. Remember, I already talked about Wes Craven thinking that was really stupid. So he's in his bedroom now, and he's frustrated because he has to unpack all these things. But he puts on a tape, and he starts dancing around, puts on some sunglasses, and snaps his fingers, which is a gif or a gif, whatever you want to call it, that I tweeted out earlier a couple weeks back. It's It's kind of cheesy and also extremely awesome. Uh, and he's trying on different sunglasses, and he's dancing. I don't know why, why this is. It's almost like a montage of unpacking. Um, but okay. And I think he, I'm not sure if he thinks he's cool or if he doesn't realize how cool he thinks he is or isn't. I don't know. But it's a little awkward, but he's doing, you know, the drumstick and all the stuff, and he's using drumstick as a microphone. Uh, and then he puts it down by his crotch, and I don't know what's going on there. But all of a sudden, his mother comes in the room. With Lisa, and I'm like, oh, that's wonderful timing. So Lisa hangs out. They um, they start unpacking together, and they're getting a lot done. 
But this is where you start to find a little more about the connection of the movie between the last one and the first one. Now, we already know that Grady knows about this girl who lived there who saw her boyfriend get killed and her parents, they said, put her in a mental hospital. Well, now, in the closet, we find the diary of Nancy Thompson. Now, this diary, we never saw her writing it. I don't remember ever seeing anything like that. It would have been cool if she wrote it, took a dream journal or something like that. But um, it makes sense you know, now that we know, now we know why it makes sense. Obviously, this is when we find out it says it's five years old. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, it it makes a lot more sense moving out five years ago than nine months ago. Um, but, oh, they're like, oh, this oh, this is what I wrote. It says the diary ended five years ago. Well, that could have meant that she stopped writing in it five years ago. But nine months ago was when everything happened. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't have to be five years ago uh, that, the, that, you know, all this stuff happened. She could have been writing it when she was 12 and she stopped. But that's not how it goes with this. The way it goes in this movie is she tells the story or she starts to tell the story of the man she sees in her dreams. And um, she talks, she says five years from now, so that's why I'm putting this in 1989. Um, Lisa reads an entry where Nancy talks about watching, you know, the beautiful Johnny Depp from afar. And Jesse reads an entry where, he, you know, he's having a little fun reading it until he realizes that she's saying um, there's an entry about Freddie, about a person who tried to kill her, and um, in the boiler room with the steel claws. And Jesse, you know, you could see this look on his face because he's starting to realize these are related to the dreams he's been having. And I'm like, I'm thinking about how... Uh, Grady made a comment about Jesse's dad buying that house and about the family who bought, like, oh, you know, like, when you think about it, sure, it's a big deal what happened in Nancy's house. But what about what happened in Glenn's house? Who bought that house? Because I feel like you're still finding pieces and bits of Glenn all over the place. It's like you open a cabin, you're like, oh, there's that Glenn kid again. Didn't we clean them? Didn't we get the, the, the house cleaners to clean up all the Glen? Uh, so we jump over, and now Jesse is tossing and turning, having another dream. And he wakes up, and we see some cool effects. We see like a lamp is melting. We see a record is melting. Very, the, to me, I love those practical effects. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and he goes downstairs. He's got wonderfully feathered hair. He goes right to the furnace. He opens it up. He looks inside, and in there is Freddy's glove. Bum, bum, so this is still, see, I don't think this is in the dream world. I think this is in the real world. The glove is still there. Flames shoot up from the furnace, um, and we hear Freddy's laugh. And I'm like, is he there? Oh, now he's there. And he's like, try it on for size. And he throws it down, and Freddy says, kill for me, Jesse. Like, None of that happened in the first one. Now he's trying to recruit someone. And again, it just sort of happens. It doesn't, he doesn't explain enough. I need you. I need you to reconnect. Like he could have just said, I, I'm, I need, I realize now, you know, that the, the, you're the, you're the bridge between the dream world and the real world. I, I just don't know. Um, but, you know, flames shoot up. Jesse tries to run. He falls down and he sees the glove is still there. Uh, so he's actually awake, I think, or maybe he's sleeping. I don't know. 
Uh, but he's like, he feels like he's sleepwalking. So maybe that's explaining. He tells Lisa the next day, maybe I'm sleepwalking. I don't know. Uh, you know, and then she's just like, well, maybe you, you have psychic premonitions. She just jumps right to that. I'm like, that's it. In a movie where the reality is insane, when you think about it, not knowing that to automatically like, well, maybe you have, maybe you're psychic and your premonitions. That is crazy insane. She asked to borrow the, the diary because she wants to look through it. And, um, there's another friend there who shows up and, they're having a talking about they're having a party. Lisa's throwing a party. I mean, I think we know what happens at this party. Not a lot of good. Um, so she gives Jesse a little smooch on the cheek. They head to class, and we see Jesse and Grady running again. And Jesse asks him, you know, if you ever if if you ever remember your dreams, and of course Grady's like only the wet ones because Grady's that wild guy who. The only other thing I know Grady from, I believe, is. Um, is it, is it weird science? Was he the guy? Was he one of the friends in weird science? He's in one of those movies. And I think it might be that one. I don't exactly know. Um, but the coach hears them, hears him say this. And, uh, he's like, Oh, more push-ups. back at the house. We see mom cover the, the cage for the parakeets, which, there are two of them, and I guess that's what you do at night. I really didn't know that. I've never owned a bird. Uh, and it is super hot in the house, like 97 degrees. Like, it's hot in my house right now because it's been, we turned off the air conditioning, and it's you know late October, and it's like almost 80 degrees in Massachusetts. But it's not 97 degrees like it is in Jesse's house. And all of a sudden, the bird cage starts shaking, shaking, and one bird they dies. One bird takes off. Scratches the dad. It's a crazy parakeet that then just spontaneous combusts, blows up. Again, what does that have to do with dreams? What does that have to do with like, like they think maybe uh, there's like a bad seed, a gas leak, rabies. Like, I don't know what's going on or why that has to, like it's connecting to Freddy and this movie. Like, is it a, um, like, is it a haunted house? aspect I, I don't know but the dad actually thinks jesse did it he's like he he he's blaming jesse thinking he did it with firecrackers jesse of course storms off storms off as i said almost very boston accent storms off um he 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 can't sleep so he gets up he goes downstairs we he's by the dishes the dishes get struck by lightning i don't know what the hell's going on there so then he he walks off in the rain all of a sudden he shows up at this place called dawn's place which looks like this little hole in the wall dive. And I'm saying to myself, is this real? Is this a dream? Is he in his pajamas? I don't know. His shirt's wide open. It seems like he could be in a biker bar, but oh, nope, nope. I think this is the gay bar, but then there's women there. There's men there. I guess it doesn't matter, um, but it looks like some of them just look like old punks from the 70s holding on to their youth. Uh, but it's a lot of like, leather. it's like a leather bar, I guess. I don't know. I, my, as, at this age, in, in, you know, in my youth, I knew this bar and I knew the blue blue oyster bar from Police Academy. You know, very I, I wouldn't call them the most progressive uh, way of looking at things back in the in the early mid eighties. But this one, I mean, this is all I knew. And then of course who's there but the coach is there. And he's he he um he's there in a leather vest, he confronts him, and next thing you know, he has Jesse doing laps in the high school. 
my understanding, as a kid, I thought this was all a bad dream. But everything I'm seeing actually happens, right? He, like, again, he brings the, the, the coach, um, he, the coach brings him, has him run laps, tells him to hit the showers. Then he coach goes to grab jump ropes. Now, we don't normally leave the person who's dreaming. Like, we'd be with Jesse if we're in Jesse's dream. But again, the last time in the dream world, Nancy could talk to Glenn, could go visit uh, 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 Rod. So I don't quite know the rules at all that's going on here. But it seems like everything we're seeing is actually happening. Um, Jesse's like really taking a long shower. He's really in, like, um, you know, just, I said he's really enjoying his shower. Like it, it looked like it felt good. I love a warm shower. And all of a sudden in the coach's room, uh, he hears a noise. Tennis rackets snap. Balls go flying. Tennis ball cans, cans explode. And I'm saying this is real, real dumb. Like what? Not that it's not a cool effect to see all these things like blow blow up like maximum overdrive, you know, things just um, but things just attacking you that you can't control. But what is the logic behind this? Is Freddy's doing all this from the dream world? Because he seems to be doing a lot without Jesse. Seems to be doing just fine. Uh, the jump ropes wrap themselves around around his wrists. Uh, all the showers turn on. And now you see a hint of green in the light. I do like that you have some cool lighting effects in this one. They really lean into the green and the red. The coach gets strung up in the shower, stripped, and then a towel comes over and starts snapping him. Okay, you know, I guess I see some of the subtext here. Um, and we see Jesse's watching, but all the steam shows up in the shower, and then all of a sudden, Freddie's there. So I'm thinking to myself, this is Jesse, right? Is Jesse doing this all with Freddie's possession? Then what does Freddie need him for? Maybe to not have to just possess him, be out in the world? Like he got out in the world. So what do we have to... Like, I don't even know. Once Jess, once Freddie got out later, why? Uh, I'm so confused. This movie is confusing. It doesn't offer full explanations. Things just kind of happen. He just, I hit my microphone. You just have to kind of deal with it. Um, but Freddie, the Freddie comes up, claws the coach on the back twice, and he dies instantaneously. He doesn't even bleed to death. He just goes, I'm dead. And he's dead. And he's hanging from the shower. And finally, and I, I know it sounds weird to say this because a, a man is dead, a coach. An educator of youth is dead. But finally, we get our first kill. It's been a while. We're into the movie. We see our first kill count is one. And it's the coach. And it's almost like he was a jerk to these kids. So it's almost like you don't feel bad about it, even though, uh, uh, you know, this man is now dead. Um and we see Jesse, and he has blood on his face, and he's wearing the glove. So think about it. He got the glove out of the basement. We saw that. And he's sleepwalking, and Jesse and Freddie is possessing him to make him do these kills in real life. That aspect I can go with. Like, Freddie realizes, hey, if you can, can take me out of the dream world, maybe I can control you in the real world. Um, and I'm going to start possessing people. Using him to, like, as he actually physically, you know, kind of... But does he physically come out later? I don't even know what we see is real or not, or if it's just to you know, spookify uh, us, the viewers, and Grady in his own bedroom later. Um, but finally, 
um, we have our first kill, which, again, it seems weird to say. But back at the house, Jesse's parents rushed downstairs. The police are there. They found Jesse walking naked on the side of the road, brought him in. Dad asked two questions for him. What are you taking, and can you give me some? No, he says, what are you taking, and who are you getting it from? Uh, this is the time when the idea of mental health, I thought, you know, isn't even, especially for a young person, isn't even thought of. Young guy, good physical health, you know, two parents, nice living, nice house. What does he have to be depressed about or have mental issues for? It has to be drugs. But um, there's one little moment where the dad kind of brushes Jesse's hair out of his eyes. And it's just a small little thing. And I don't know if the if it was the actor or if it was the director, but it was just a, a small little moment where it makes him, you know, feel like he really cares about his son. And he, Jesse says, you know, um, I'm not taking drugs and I just want to go to bed. And he gets up the next morning. He's like, I'm fine. I'm just leaving. And, uh, of course, the mental health thing, you know, the mom actually does think that he needs... So I was, I was, you know, the next morning, the mom does actually bring up the mental health thing. Well, it doesn't say mental health. It just says, I think he needs professional help. The dad says, um, I think he just needs a good kick in the butt or a methadone clinic. So the hair tussle was nice, but now he's thinking, you know, he's either, he either needs to be, you know, uh, whacked or he's, he needs to be given a whack or get off the crack. I don't know. That's my assumption. Uh, so... Jesse and Lisa show up at school. Obviously, there's all kind of commotion. There's police. There's ambulances. Brady's like, you, ha- you haven't heard? Where have you been? Joe, uh, Coach Snyder got wasted last night. Some maniac sliced him like a kielbasa, or as my family would say, kielbasi. They hacked him in the shower. Bloody footprints all over the place. So I'm thinking, hmm, do footprints work like fingerprints? Hmm. But again, they're footprints, not Shoe prints. Shoe prints, you think Freddy. Footprints, you think um, footprints. I wonder if that could be like a character. Like he's a foot, but he's also a prince. And his name is, he's the footprints. Kind of a play on words. Anyway, footprints, you think bare, you know, naked, bare feet in the shower. That's Jesse. Well, we obviously know Jesse's there. Um, look. Jesse's doing these, they're killing, right? I mean, Freddie maybe possessed him, maybe not, I don't know. We jump right back over and boom, all of a sudden it's night. Jesse can't sleep. Uh, he gets up in his little tidy whities He goes over to his desk drawer and inside he opens up and sees the glove again and it's moving. It's kind of a cool little, little, little effect. The glove is moving inside the uh, drawer and he, uh, you hear Freddie say, kill for me. Yeah. Wait a minute. Kill for me. Nope, not quite. Kill for me. Eh, maybe. Uh, so we see him walking upstairs of his house, and he opens up a door, and we look into his sister's room. Uh, and his sister, all of a sudden, she's in there jumping rope and singing to the Freddy song. And I'm like, huh? That's weird. Then we cut to the next morning. Jesse pours himself a cup of coffee and asks his dad why it took them five years to sell the house. You know, now the dad wants to know, or Jesse finally wants to know, there's something little weird with this house and what took so long and i guess freddie only cares about at this point he only cares about the people who moved into this house which i still think is the connection to the glove he says oh uh 
I don't know, just uh, maybe, um, you know, I got the right price or, you know, why it took them five years. Maybe they couldn't get the, the right price. But Jesse says, you didn't know about the murder across the street and the crazy girl who lived here who saw the whole thing? And the dad admits he did know something about it, but he never told the mother about it. You could see the mom clearly had no idea. And uh, he's like, oh, come on. How do you think I get such a good deal on this? And I'm thinking, oh, dad. Dad, 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 you don't buy a haunted house just because you get a good deal? Didn't Caroline's family teach you anything? Uh, he's like, yeah, the, the girl here lost her mind, and her mom killed herself in the living room. And I'm like, oh, ding, ding, ding. Um, killed herself, huh? The little sister gets scared. Again, I would be too. And the dad's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong in this house. And then um, all of a sudden the sister smells something burning and the toaster's on fire. And I guess the toaster on fire is supposed to be scary. Like it wasn't even plugged in. <gasps> Ooga booga. It really was scary. Um, but think about, let's unpack what they just said. Nancy's mom killed herself in the living room. So it is our belief now that in the last movie, Freddie did kill her, but it made it somehow look like it was a suicide. So it was explained as a suicide, but so maybe the glass door didn't break and the mother did die. I'm still th I'm still going to claim Freddie killed her, um, but it was seen as a suicide or at least it was deemed to the outward, uh, to the rest of the Springwood um, community. Suicide. Interesting. So uh, we see Jesse and Lisa are now driving and Lisa says, you can't blame yourself for what happened to the coach. Uh, I think maybe you can. She's like, even though you dreamed it doesn't mean you, you did it. And like, wait, he didn't dream. Like, why would she think he, I must've just dreamt it. And Lisa's like, yeah, obviously you just dreamt it. You didn't kill the coach, right? Like, why would you even think maybe you, you dreamt it, but you didn't, you didn't actually do it. Like she thinks he has like psychic dreams or is she just like weird? So uh, with all the wackiness going on with Jesse, um, you know, he, he thinks he might be responsible for the coach's death. And this is the point where Lisa thinks it's a good idea to bring her to bring him to the power plant where Freddy Krueger worked in the boiler room where he brought all his victims, killed all those kids. Uh, and that where they burned him up to. Um, it's like, you know, why would you do that? Like, you're having all these bad dreams about this guy, Freddie. He's been in this journal. Let me bring you to where he would kill people. And let me bring you to where he was murdered. Um, and it says, you know, she mentions, okay, let me read what I actually said, see if I can make, I can make sense of it. Uh, he brought all his victims there. And uh, she mentions that Nancy talked about in her diary, which is a really, uh, oh, I wrote, it's really just there to progress the story. Yeah, the diary is so they have an actual knowledge. There's no one there to tell them what they're seeing. Now, in part three, Nancy comes back and is there to tell them what they're seeing and tell these new people what they're seeing. But in this movie, they're like, what is going on here? Because Jesse's parents had nothing to do with Freddy Krueger. There's no reason that they would know what's going on here. Nobody seemed to check the furnace to, to get the glove out. Um, but luckily, Nancy's diary... Oh, I'm yawning. Luckily, Nancy's diary is there to fill in the gaps. And I guess it is a pretty useful story tool, you know, in that respect. Um, 
But there's really no explanation. I wrote, I wrote this. I feel this. There's just no explanation of why he's back or what he's planning to do. Um, he just has a plan. His plan is to use Jesse to kill for him, I guess. I don't know what's going on. So um, she shows him some printouts. I mean, these are really nice printouts. Must have used the, the very nice. I, they look like they were sh- printed on a laser printer. 1985, there are no laser printers. These are definitely not newspapers. They're, she's handing him definitely printouts, probably from um, old microfilm or the library. But, um, you know, she shows them talking about Freddie. It says Freddie being arrested, Freddie being freed. And, oh, then they start to walk into the power plant. They think that's a good idea. She said Freddy Krueger uh, kidnapped 20 kids and brought them here and killed them. Okay. And she's, like, walking around going, do you feel any psychic connection? Like, she's completely bought into the fact that this guy is a psychic and not psycho. Uh, and there's, like, a cabinet, and he's like, oh, what is in that cabinet? And he goes to open the cabinet. And there's nothing. There's nothing in there at all. There's a rat inside. We cut over to the house, and in the furnace basement, like the fire flares up, and we see um, a POV of a certain something going up the stairs. Very evil, very evil dead-like. Like the camera kind of goes upstairs. I'm like, what is going on? I don't know. But it, And it seemed like it's almost a goof because when the camera goes upstairs, you see the shadow. No, I don't know if that's... It's the shadow of the camera person, but I don't know if it's supposed to be... Um, the POV of Freddy. But what we do see is all of a sudden we see the glove and we see that Jesse's there and he's got the glove and he's standing over his sister. So I'm guessing we cut back to the night. Jesse had a nightmare. He went back downstairs to the furnace. Maybe that's where the glove is unless it's in his, it's still in his desk. I don't know. Um, but he sees the glove he's wearing and he's like, he seems jarred and boom, he, we cut back and he's in his bedroom and now he's taking stay up pills and he's drinking Coca-Cola. Uh, and I'm, t- I'm trying to think to myself, is that new Coke? But because it's 1985, but this is four years. Oh, this is five years later. So it's 1989, right? New Coke. You think it's a year later, but it's actually five years later. So it's 1989. So I would think it's Coca-Cola classic, but it doesn't say that. So obviously um, th- this is an alternative universe where Coca-Cola classic doesn't exist. And um, but a monster man who can kill you in your dreams is is a very much a reality. So he he gets up the next morning. I guess he stayed awake. I don't know. Has coffee. Goes to school. Tells Lisa he had another bad night. His dad thinks he's on drugs. His mom thinks he's crazy, and he's not sure uh, that she's wrong. He has no idea. And technically, he's been taking those no sleep. So um, maybe he you know he's definitely on some sort of drugs. So. Lisa and her friend go sit with Grady and Jesse for lunch. They mention Lisa's party coming up. And Grady says, you know, he's not going. He got grounded. I don't know why. We never actually see why. Um, and Jesse's upset. Jesse's just upset that he, he's not sleeping. He's been on edge. He snaps at Grady about something. He gets up and leaves all in angry. So they're kind of fighting a little bit, but not really like they, they have a bit of an argument. I don't know why. We're never under, We're never given the reason why Grady couldn't go to the party. I think he made a joke. I think he said he pushed his grandmother down the stairs. But um, it's like it it just gives him reason to not be there, so that we can get a separate scene with them later. To me, that's just like, well, how do we do this? We'll just have Grady not go to the party. Well, he's he looks like he'd be cool. 
He's this cool, good-looking teenager who looks about 30. Why wouldn't he go to the party? Uh, he got grounded. What did he get grounded for? I don't know. Just make up something. Uh, so we jump over to Lisa's house, and there's a pool party going on. And I'm like, this is a party in high school on a, on a, a Friday night, a school night? I really don't know. But the mom is there. The dad's on the grill. Um, and, you know, he yells at a kid who jumps in the pool, well, I guess because he splashed a little bit. Um but then the mom gets the dad to go to bed early. And it's like the moment they're out of the, her hands, the grill, uh, oh, he hands over to the grill. To, he hands the tools over to, the, to, the, um, to another kid. He's like, here, you're in, job, you're in charge with everything. He tells Lisa, 1230, everyone out, no later. And I can kind of relate. My parents used to go to bed um, early when we'd have like five, six, seven, eight people sometimes in our house just coming and going at different times of night. We weren't doing anything crazy, but it's just like we felt like we had the place to ourselves after about 8 o'clock at night. Um, Now, Lisa seems concerned with Jesse, who just kind of is sitting at the party by himself. He goes off into some bathroom or something, and uh, Lisa's friend is um, hanging out with some blonde bohunk who um, I don't even remember. I don't remember her name. I don't know his name. doesn't matter. Oh, it's not a... Oh, it's like a cabana. This, this They have a nice pool set up. Um, so Jesse, she goes in there to see Jesse. He's like, yeah, I really don't want to be here anymore. I apologize. You know, I really, this isn't my scene. I don't feel great. I should go home. And Lisa's upset because she wants to help him. And he's like, what can you do for me? I feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't want to watch you watch me fall apart. I'm afraid to go to sleep. I'm afraid to stay awake. I'm ruining the party. Uh, you know, they're going to take me away. Um, and she's like, no. Don't be that way. We'll stay up all night together if we have to. We need to work this out. I won't let anything happen to you. And then they start kissing. Now, upstairs, Lisa's mom and dad, they've changed into their pajamas. They have a drink. They're about to get frisky with each other with a house full of teenagers downstairs. Now, that, I pray to God, didn't happen in my house. Uh, The kids, this is what's interesting. The kids are watching from the window. They're waiting. The bedroom light is on in the parents' house. The moment the light goes off, the kids are like, they're like in a beer commercial, party, like you feel Spuds McKenzie's going to come out. Uh, they go crazy. They bring all this beer out. They change the music to rock and roll music. And all of a sudden, I swear to God, Lisa's friend is banging that dude in the pool in front of everybody. I think we see parts of the bathing suit. And they're bouncing around. They're having full-blown coitus in the pool. That's what I think is going on. And it's like, okay, you turn off the lights, but the parents, I feel like, can still hear what's going on. If they glance out the window, they're going to see underage students having sex in their house, they should be arrested. Um, but again, doesn't matter. We just need this to we need this to happen, um, so it's going to happen. But actually, the parents heard everything. The dad's like, "What's going on?" Mom's like, "Oh, let them be kids. They're just going to drink and have sex while we're here. Not a big deal." Um, and of course, now we see uh, her, her their own kid getting very intimate with Jesse, and he's really like groping her boobies, like. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I, and just me looking it up, like, she's like 19 in the book, in the movie or so. And um, she's like 19 in real life. So I don't know what how old she's playing. Maybe she's playing a little younger. But um, Jesse's definitely playing younger because he's like 25 or 24. And I don't know if they're like, keep, keep grabbing the boobies. I don't know. But I forgot all about this. All of a sudden, we see this gross, fretty tongue, I guess, come out of her mouth. And it's like, caught up in his mouth he's like Wah. so this is Freddie I still feel like trying to get 
into the real world, um, I guess, tongue first, and starts licking her a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he realizes it, and he puts it in her mouth. He puts it in his mouth. If he put it in her mouth, she'd notice. He puts it in his mouth before she notices. He freaks out. She's like, what's going on? She gets all upset. He leaves. He's like, I'm getting out of here. Uh, the party keeps going on. So he breaks into Grady's house, sneaks into his bedroom, waking up, waking him up, startling him. He tells Grady, I need, I need help. And he wants to stay at his house tonight. Uh, and then he says, listen, I think I killed Snyder. Um, or, but he says he killed Snyder, but it wasn't him. It was something inside him. See, if I hear someone say, I killed him, but it wasn't me. It was someone inside me. I'd say, okay, okay, I'm going to call the cops. We're going to get you help. And then I'd be, I would have urinated my shorts completely. Um, but it says that, you know, it, it almost had him attack his own sister. Again, this doesn't sound like a guy who's being possessed by a monster. It sounds like a guy who's having mental health struggles and is going, having some sort of psychotic break. Again, that's just me. And he says it almost happened tonight at the cabana at Lisa's house. I'd be like, what? Oh, okay. Uh, Grady allows him to stay, even though that's crazy. And he's like, listen, keep an eye on me, okay? Even though Jesse, Grady said, I think he's been having bad dreams. Jesse tells him, listen, you keep an eye on me. If I do anything weird or try to leave, you have to stop me. Great. Nice thing to say, Jesse. Uh, good luck with that, Grady. Um, and he's like, I don't care if you hit me over the head. I don't care. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And Grady's like, Okay, I'm like, really? He's responsible for him? Like, why not handcuff you, tie something, try something? Um, but like having a kid stay up, and it's like, okay. Over at the party, slowing down a little bit, and Lisa's like, you know what? I need to go see what's going on. She wants to um, she wants to leave and go see Jesse. And friend's like, go, go, go. Uh, back in Grady's room, he's falling asleep. He... he he sees great uh, that Jesse's passed out. He's like, enough of this. I know he said he killed some people, but I'm going to go take a nap now. And so he starts going to bed. Two seconds later, um, we all of a sudden, he wakes up, and Jesse wakes up. We can see him having a bad dream. He's like, Grady, it's starting to happen. Oh, no, not again. And he's like, he looks like he's starting to feel sick to his stomach. And I completely forgot about this. But Freddy's gloves and blades is now coming through him, protruding through his arm, and like his fingers, and they're breaking. His whole arm is coming apart. It's really gross and really a cool effect, actually. The skin is tearing away. Grady's starting to freak out. Jesse screams, no, and in his mouth you see Freddy's eye. Like it's some cool effects, some cool visuals, not logical, like really. Like So Jesse's seeing Freddy come out of him already. I don't know what's going on, if it's real or not. We, this is where you see um, the dad from, from Ferris Bueller. He's, he gets to the door, and they're like, Ron, Ron. His name is Ron, I found out, and not just uh, Grady. Um, and all of a sudden, Freddy, like, comes out of Jesse's body, like, bleh, like right out of his stomach, like, gross, like, how, almost how he came out of the wall. This time he comes through Jesse's body, and, um, like, he goes over. He's like, hey, what's up? And stabs Grady, cuts him up really good. He's like, Grady's dying. But in the mirror, Je Freddy looks over and we see Jesse. And Jesse has the glove on. So I'm thinking, he didn't get torn apart. Did Grady see Freddy kill him? Or did Grady see Jesse kill him? And Jesse thought what was happening to him was Freddy coming out of his, his, his tummy. I just know, I have no idea what's going on here. 
But um, Jesse throws, Jesse smashes the mirror. He throws the glove off, smashes the mirror that he sees Freddie in. Freddie continues to cackle. Arr, 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 arr. All of a sudden, we hear sirens, and the cops are, are already there, like already there. Jesse's like, the hell with this. He jumps out the window and heads the hell out of here, goes over to, to Lisa's house, who she must have took so long to get ready that Grady was allowed to be killed in all this time, and Jesse gets to the house because she's about to leave and um, opens the door, and there's Jesse there all bloodied up. And it's like, okay, I, I mean, I guess we don't have to leave again. And how long, how long was Jesse asleep, and how long did Lisa take to get ready? I don't know. But he's like, I killed him. I killed him. I killed Grady. I killed Snyder. Oh, God, I'm so scared. He's inside me. Like, to me, that doesn't sound like a man who has a dream monster in him. It sounds like a man who, again, is having a psychotic break. And she's like, who? He says, Freddy Krueger. He's in me. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy read the diary once, and now all these things are happening to him. Uh, and he, he tried to get me to kill my sister last night. Now, what's crazy about this is, you know, he says, you know, we already know someone's dead. Now he's saying he killed his friend. He almost killed his sister. And Lisa's like, what's going on? Like, she, she doesn't seem to be taking it seriously. And I feel like she should be calling the cops. That's what I would do. Uh, and he's like, Christ, what do I have to do to get you to understand me? And I'm like, I, Jesse, I think I kind of believe you. I kind of agree with you. His hands are covered in blood. And um, like they're really covered in blood, like like they're dipped in blood. I'm thinking, how did he? I would have fell climbing out the window with my blood, my hands covered in blood that much. We cut outside to the pool. And um, either it's heated or it really starts to steam up. Again, I don't know how Freddy's powers work, but they're really working over here. There's a lot of magic in this, a lot of Freddy magic. Um, the, the hot dogs get over, overheated. Uh, Lisa's in the pool. Lisa's friends in the pool again having sex, uh, and it's getting too hot for them. The beers start popping. There's a lot of just like weirdness. Um, like the doors start locking, the fence start like, why does Freddie need to come in the real world if he has all these powers already? I don't know. I'm trying to think what show. Like the only thing we saw that was close to this in the first movie, what I think was Rod Lane and the and the sheet going around his neck and then killing him like two seconds later. But um, inside, um, inside the house. Jesse's trying to fight things off, and um, oh, we, we see the fish tank boiling, and Freddy's like Jesse falls behind a couch, and all of a sudden it's Freddy. Like, did he win? Is this it? Freddy's already here. What's going on? We see him come out of Jesse's body at, at Grady's house. Now we see him here. So right now Jesse's gone, and Freddy took over, and there's a fight going on. And, um, you know, he's like, help me. He's like, please kill me. But she takes a knife and she tries stabbing him. Nothing really happens. I do like that um, they show his glove, but it's not the glove we see. It's like it's like organically in his hands, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, I guess it's a cool makeup job. And I guess they're trying to say that this is real coming through Jesse. I, I don't know. Um, but Freddie's like, I love you, Lisa. Uh, but then he, after he says, I love you, he, it's almost like he sacrifices himself. He runs and jumps out the, out the door, smashes through the glass, and disappears. I don't know what the hell that was all about. 
the kids at the party are like, uh, what's going on? All of a sudden, oh, the parents upstairs, they heard the commotion. Their bedroom door locked. Now it unlocked. And they're like, oh, I guess we're safe. I'm like, oh, good. Is Freddie gone? No, he's not gone. He jumps up out of some underground, I don't know if that's where they kept the pool chemicals, slashes a kid right away. Oh, I didn't say, of course, Grady dead number two. This is kill count number three. Um, at least two kids fall in the boiling water. I don't know if they're dying. I'm not sure yet. Um, so I kind of tried to, to, make a, to make a full count of this. I think this ends up being the biggest kill count ever because of all the stuff going on at the pool party. We see some kid gets gutted. Another kid gets trampled on. Uh, flames everywhere. Um, of course, one kid just touches a fence. He gets shocked, but I think he's alive. Um, oh, the parents come downstairs and... The dad's like, oh, the dad's like, we got to call. Oh, let's get out of here. Lisa says, let's get out of here. And it's like, no, we got to call. Like, they don't think to call 911. They don't think to help the kids. They just want to run, leave all the kids behind at their house to be murdered. Uh, they don't know who Freddy Krueger is. They weren't part of this. Outside, Freddy has all these kids cornered. And one idiot tries to reason with him. He's like, hey, man, hey, you're like, hey, Mr. Burnt Monster Man, uh, you know, you need to calm down. Everything's going to be all right. Uh, no one here wants to hurt you, all right? And he's like, yeah, okay, I stab you. Oh, and um, he's like, oh, we're only here to help you. He goes, go help yourself, fucker. And he, burr, and he slashes him. And um, I, I actually did like that. Um, he flings him aside. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed that. Like, the only message that you're going to tell me is that you're dead. Um, oh, Lisa's dad goes and grabs a gun. He thinks maybe that can help. And... Um, but Freddy spread. That's when he spreads his arm out. It's a really, kind of a cool, iconic shot from this movie. It's one of the more memorable lines of the movie. Where he says, "You're all my children now." I can't spread my arms that wide because I'd be outside of the barriers of the green, the little green screen that I have around me. Muhuhuha. Um, so his dad comes out, shoots at Freddy. Of course, he misses. Freddy looks at him, and I'm thinking, "Uh-oh, they're all dead." And but he looks at Lisa, and Lisa's like, Dad, don't kill Freddy Krueger because my boyfriend's in there, I guess. She pushes the gun away. Maybe she knows Jesse's in there. I don't know. Um, and I'm still not sure. Are we seeing... Are we? They're seeing Freddy because they wouldn't have said, hey, man, to a complete to Jesse, right? But he's new in town. So maybe during all of this, they're seeing Jesse? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Freddy... He's like, I got to go. And he just walks right through the fence magically. I don't know what's going on there. Lisa just leaves, runs off. And like the parents don't seem to mind. I assume the police are there because they need to clean up all the dead bodies. Um, she drives to the power plant. I guess that, well, now that she sees it's Freddie, she goes there. Again, I would stay as far away from, you've known this guy for a couple of weeks. I would stay as far away from him and any connection to Freddy Krueger that you possibly could. But when she gets there, I have to give credit to the set designers or the decorators or the lighting people because they have an area that's bathed um, in... One area, it's bathed in red. Another area, it's bathed in green. It look it has a good look, like a good um, ambiance, but also red and green, the colors of Frederick Krueger. So I really, um, you know... Even in a little silly movie like this, I like the little attention to detail. Um, and kind of weird thing, though. Um, she gets there. 
Now again, she's in the woke the the real world, the waking world. Why are there two dogs there with human faces? One like the face of a baby? Like, what the hell is going on with that? It makes no sense. I feel like some animals were abused to put these masks on because I think they were dogs with like masks on, right? I don't know who they thought thought was a good idea, but I feel like someone's like, "Oh, you got that? We got to see. We we got to put that in this movie. Why? I don't know. They're guarding Freddy. What? What the hell's going on? It doesn't make any sense." Anyway, they get to the power plant, and Freddy kind of tracks her down. We I, I swear we see Freddy run his hand his glove over the same pipe like two or three times. Uh, they finally connect. Uh, I wrote long paragraphs. No way I'm going through this beat by beat. They connect. He tries to attack her. But Jesse's inside trying to fight back. She's like, no. She ends up burning. She ends up kissing him, right? And telling him, you know, it's okay. And says, I love you, Jesse. I love you. And all of a sudden, flames, somehow someone bursts into flames. Freddie bursts into flames. And you're thinking, oh, he's dead. All flames are everywhere. Lisa somehow doesn't. Um, get in flames. Maybe she's crying enough that it's putting the flames out around her. And Freddie's just burning up co- to a complete, cr- uh, complete crisp, like he's burnt to death. But then all of a sudden, like, like um, the dogs at the end of Ghostbusters, you see like cracks coming out, and the crack falls off, and there's Jesse under there, and he's like, "I've been inside him. I've been inside the man who is inside of me all the time." Okay, maybe there is some subtext to this, uh, but. Freddie was inside him, like, you know, physically, the, the, his monster, the monster man was in him. But then Freddie overtook him, and Jace, Jesse was inside him, and Jesse seems to be okay. Freddie seems to be dead. Lisa hugs him. They fade to black. We get to the next morning. They're in the, um, they're in the bus. Everyone seems to be in good spirits. Oh, um, Jesse's like, I can't believe I'm going back. His arm's all wrapped up, so he's been through some stuff. His mom seems to be in good spirits. Uh, so some time has passed, and but I don't know how much time because they seem to be pretty happy about all the murders that went on in this town. Uh, he's bandaged up. He gets in into the uh, bus. Again, not a very big school bus like for Springwood. Like How many buses do they have? We had, um, you know, it's like, a, it seems like it was hold about 30 kids, maybe 40 kids. Um, he gets on the bus. He's very excited. He's waving to the bus like, hey, look at me. Uh, again, he, he has a car. I don't know why he didn't take the car. I think we know why, because he wasn't awake, I guess. It's another movie that l- leaves you with a jump scare because we see Lisa and her friend. They're in the car. Lisa, uh, they're in the bus. Lisa and Jesse are all smooches. And he's like, I can't believe it's all over. This is great. And um, Lisa's like, let's not talk about it anymore. Then the bus starts speeding up, and he's like, driver, driver, you're going too fast. And then they pull over and, and stop and pick someone up, and Lisa's like, they're, they're doing fine. Everything's going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. It's okay. It's all over. And then, boom, Freddie's glove leaps out of her chest, bursts out of her chest. It's another bad, like, cut shot. Uh, where it went from like you know her being there, and then all of a sudden they had to cut and put Freddie's arm coming out of it, like with special effects. Uh, Freddie's laughter. The the car drives off into the desert. But the worst part, I feel like, is 
when that happens, watch all three kids scream. These are some terrible screams. Like, ah, like almost like scream, kids, scream louder. And okay, and Freddie's laughter. And I'm thinking, are they dead? Is it over? Are we in a dream again? It's definitely over. And do we ever... We never see from Jesse again. He's not in brought back. Heather's uh, brought back. Nancy's brought back. But my understanding, based on this, well, whose dream are we in here? Are we in Jesse's dream? Or did Freddie find a new person to come out of in the friend? Like, think about it. What actually is happening here? And why am I thinking too much about it? I'm trying to gain the logic of these movies. I'm trying to figure out, you know, the, like, what actually happened. Like, I feel like going forward, it's a little more straightforward, I think. But I just, I, I just don't remember it being so much like, well, wait. So, is Freddy alive again? Apparently, you, you kill Freddy in the real world, but he's still in the dream world. Like, I guess my point is, is that I'm trying to put too much logic into something they're just trying to have fun with. That's probably the truth of it. Uh, you know, this isn't some fine literature. It's a scary movie. It's a slasher movie. It's a killer movie. It's a horror movie. And it's as fun as, um, and it's just trying to have fun, right? That's my assumption. That's what I think is going on here. And you know what? There are moments of fun in this movie. And, um, but there's a lot of weird moments. A lot of like, it just feels like a different, like they, they went somewhere different right away. Uh, instead of Freddy killing kids in your dreams, he's really focusing on one person and using that person to try to get into the real world. And I feel like that idea of Freddy getting in the real world is abandoned for a little while, right? I, you know, they talk about the dream child. Maybe that's his attempt again to be reborn. Um, I don't remember. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've seen A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Freddy's Revenge. Colon, Freddy's Revenge. It might be a long time till I see it again. But I watched it. And I spent uh, a long time talking about it. Probably longer than um, one person alone staring into a microphone and staring into a uh, camera should, wearing a glove, you know, at his advanced age. Maturity is overrated, kids. Remember that. Um, I think that's it. I think I covered it. It's not a great movie. There are some enjoyable things in it. You definitely could see the subtext that people are talking about. And that actually almost makes me... Not almost. It kind of makes me respect this movie more that there are some deeper things going on here. And not just, you know, with, with sexuality, but I, I can, I think, with mental health. Um, so I give it props for that. Uh, but some of the logic of what Freddie's doing and why he's doing it, it just happened. And why it happened to Jesse, I guess because he lived in the house. But we're in 1989 now. So where are we going to be in part three? I don't know. But wherever we're going... Wherever we're going, Freddie will be there and Dawkin will be there. Those are two things I can promise you. Uh, but until then, and it might be a few weeks because, um, I, you know, I got this out to you a little late. But here's the thing. I'm going to be traveling, uh, not next week, but the following week. So I don't think I'm going to get this out, another one out this week. 
And the following week, I'm going to be driving my mother-in-law from Massachusetts all the way down into Florida and then spending a couple of days with her before I fly back. Now you want to talk about scary movies. Film this. Hang out for seven hours, three days in a car with your nearly 80-year-old mother-in-law. <laughs> now there's nightmares. It's really not that bad. I'm just having fun. But it is long, long, long days. And I will not um, have time to podcast to you about Dream Warriors. But I will be dreaming about Dream Warriors. And I can't wait to finally come back to you and talk more. Freddy Krueger. Until then, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, what's the other one? Mastodon.social and threads at Geek Mentality. You can find the show on Twitter at Slash Horror. And maybe on threads at Slash Horror too. Or, or Instagram too. I'm not sure. But definitely on Twitter. Because it's still called Twitter to me. Um, and I'm not on Blue Sky, but if you know, uh, if you have an invite, throw it my way. I would appreciate it. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Check out every episode of Slash and every episode of every other podcast that I do over at fansnotexperts.com. And until next time, my friends, remember, it's fun to be scared. Sweet dreams. Get it? Did you ever see heaven right in your arms? Saying I love you, I do. Well, the dream that was walking and the dream that was talking and the heaven in my arms was you. Fans not experts.